1969, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper decided they wanted to film a movie where they rode around on motorcycles and did a fuckload of drugs. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched Easy Rider. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show, Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I say show a lot. And this show is a show where I, your host, Jake Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. And today, we're tackling Easy Rider. I gotta say, just right off the bat, it's kind of interesting. Going, I had some low expectations going into this movie. The movie I watched right before this was Escape from New York. It was a big disappointment. I'd heard a lot of things about Easy Rider doesn't really hold up. It's a product of its time. But I got to say, not to spoil things too much, but I actually had a pretty decent time watching this. So uh, if you're a big fan of Easy Rider, you don't have to turn this one off. But if you're a fan of good podcasts, maybe maybe you should turn this off and go find something else to listen to. I know that I have this thing at the beginning of the podcast where, hey, it's talk about Jake time. But I'm kind of at a loss for what to talk about this time. I don't really have any personal connections with this movie the closest it gets to is you know being a fan of hopper and jack nicholson a little bit but i don't know i'm gonna save my dennis hopper fanboying for the end when i'm recommending movies and jack nicholson i like jack nicholson obviously i was very complimentary towards him in the chinatown episode i say obviously meaning that you if you're listening to this you listen to the chinatown episode which is very possible that you didn't yeah, let me reiterate. I do like Jack Nicholson. I, I don't know. I, I like, I, I do like him, but I, I know a big touchstone for him, for a lot of people, is when he played the Joker in the 1989 Batman movie, a movie I have seen. I know the conceit of this show is I haven't seen a lot of classic movies, so it's all right to be skeptical as, as to my viewing of that. But I gotta say, and you know, some of it comes from, I, I was born in 1990, so I didn't exactly watch the 19. 19- 89 Batman when I was until much later in my life. I'm not sure when the first time I ever saw it was. And it's not even the one that I grew up on. It's it's kind of weird. It's tough because part part of the thing that I think that the reason why I think the conceit of the show is kind of interesting is because nostalgia, I think, can really color how you feel about things. Because for me, growing up, the live action Batman that I watched a lot was Batman Forever. And I, <laughs> I, I have a lot of rosy feelings about that movie even when I go back and watch it to this day there's parts of it that I just I love I was a big Jim Carrey fan growing up so I enjoy him as the Riddler I think uh, especially on revisiting it recently Tommy Lee Jones's performance is very strange I don't know why he's acting the way he is it's not how Two-Face has ever been portrayed before and I don't think it's ever been like that since then it's not even something that he does like as an act like if, if if the Riddler was a certain type of character, but Jim Carrey came in and did his whole shtick, that would make sense to me. But I really don't understand how Tommy Lee Jones is the way he is in that movie. And it's pretty bad. But I've always, and I've heard he's dick in real life, but I've always liked Val Kilmer's portrayal of Bruce Wayne. I think he does a good job as Bruce Wayne and Batman. And up until recently with Ben Affleck, I personally think that he's the closest we've ever gotten to a good portrayal of him. Because I, I got another thing about me as I grew up watching the the 90s cartoon. So that was always my Batman. As much as I watched Batman Forever and enjoyed it as a kid, my biggest thing was the cartoon and watching Mask of the Phantasm. I was so 
young when I watched that movie, my dad always tells this story. There's a scene in Mask of the Phantasm where a lady throws wine in Bruce Wayne's face. And I was so young and had no concept of alcohol or anything like that, which uh, it's a very uh, nice time, I assume, considering my current relationship with alcohol, I say, as I take a long sip of Bacardi and Dr. Pepper, I think it is. Yeah, that's fucking awful. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, Anyway. She throws the wine in his face, and I would always laugh. And I'd tell my dad that I'd be like, <laughs> I love when she throws his, her juice on him. Like, I didn't even understand the concept. That's how young I was when I was enjoying those. Uh, and I'm off on a really long, weird Batman tangent. All of that is to say is I don't know when the first time I watched Burton's uh, original Batman movie was, but I've honestly never been the biggest fan of Jack Nicholson's Joker. And I'm curious how other people feel about that. Like, obviously, I know how my friends feel. We've had a couple discussions about it, not too in-depth. I'm not much into, I'm not one of these people that's running around being like, oh, Heath Ledger, he just, he's the greatest Joker ever, and there's, there's that's that's my Joker. I mean, I like Heath Ledger's performance a lot. I really enjoy him. I mean, obviously, again, returning to the cartoon, my my Joker was always uh, Mark Hamill's Joker. I'm, I'm always up for different interpretations of the character, but I was always curious why people love Jack Nicholson's portrayal so much. It's for me, it just doesn't. That, that whole movie's kind of rough. I don't love Keaton as Batman. I don't love Jack Nicholson as the Joker. It's just, it's he's like known for playing these crazy, over the top characters. But for me, he doesn't even feel like he goes that over the top in that movie. But maybe that's just because I'm used to crazy, gravelly, uh, why so serious, uh, Heath Ledger Joker. And, you know, the, oh, God, no, I can do this. Uh, I swear to God, I can do a good Mark Hamill joke. I, I used to practice it all the time. Um, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> oh, Harley. You're my favorite tool in my box. I don't know. I, I used to be pretty good at it. I kind of suck at it now. I haven't fucking watched uh, him do the Joker since. Well, he technically came back when they did the killing joke, but that ended up being terrible. I don't know, but Mark Hamill Joker for life, I guess. But I digress. I guess for some reason, talking about Easy Rider... My me is going to be my relationship with the Batman franchise for some reason. I will say, I guess if I'm going to be on this topic, which I shouldn't be, but fuck it, I guess at this point, um, something about me personally, maybe this will color your opinion of me as, as a host of a show where I give opinions on my movies and stuff. As it stands right now, my opinion on the current uh, DC universe is not very bad. I, I, I'm a Zack Snyder apologist. Um, I haven't watched Man of Steel in a long time, but I, I kind of want to go back and look at it because I'm a big defender of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and I'll even defend Suicide Squad to a certain degree in that I'll defend Will Smith and Harley Quinn's performance, and I'll, I'll defend certain scenes and themes of that movie. I find it hard because the villain is so bad, but there's parts of that movie I really like, and also I'm just a big fan of... Uh, I can't think of the guy directed it but he's the same guy that wrote training day and you know he directs all those kind of gritty cop movies and i think he's good i don't know i i like the current dc universe i i've been on board with ben affleck batman from day one even when there was that initial backlash just because i was like he looks the closest to kevin conroy batman from the series i think that'd be great i'm really worn out by marvel movies apparently i'm just gonna use this show to grind my weird axes but fuck it i guess um apologies for those of you that are here for easy rider i swear to god i'm gonna get to it in a couple minutes but let me finish this rant. I'm sick of the Marvel movies. They just feel so cookie cutter anymore. Um, I just I don't have a strong attachment to any of the characters at this point. I, I find the DC movies, they try to tackle 
themes better. You know, I'm not going to sit here and break down Batman versus Superman, but I just think with the Superman character, it's interesting to see the weight of the world on his shoulders and how he handles it. And I, even though Zack Snyder is not so subtly trying to turn him into a sort of Jesus figure. I think that's an interesting interpretation of Superman. And I really like Batman. He's kind of broken down by the time we see him in Dawn of Justice. And it's just, I think they're interesting interpretations of the characters. I know a lot of people hate him and I know the original cut was a mess, but the, that's the thing. These studios are always fucking with Zack Snyder. They're doing the same thing with Justice League. And then you got to wait until the goddamn director's cut comes out and it fixes like half the problems people have with the damn movie. And it was just all weird fucking studio interference. And don't get me wrong. I don't apologize for everything Zack Snyder's ever done. I was so excited to go see Sucker Punch. I went and saw it in the theaters by myself and I fucking hated it. It was terrible. There's no excuse for that movie. I think the visuals are interesting and neat, but that movie's a travesty. I've said before, I used 300 as a point on one one episode where that kick, I know it's become a joke at this point, but when I saw it, when before it was basically what we would call a meme nowadays, it was so cool. I loved it. The visuals are cool. It was groundbreaking. I don't know. It, it is what it is. <sighs> Uh, I digress. Um, Jack Nicholson is an easy rider. And speaking of Jack Nicholson being an easy rider, that was part of my preconceived notions for easy rider. Oh my God. Look at that transition. I I, got to say, uh, for, in terms of my preconceived notions, I did think he was in it more, I guess. Cause you know, he's always mentioned, uh, in the context of this movie. And I mean, he's in a big chunk of it, but he's not in it nearly as much as I thought, but I have, I have really short preconceived notions for this movie and really short notes for this movie because, I mean, the thing is, this is a movie that is in the cultural zeitgeist to a certain degree in terms of if you're ever specifically talking about 60s cinema, the birth of 70s cinema, essentially, Easy Rider is something that's mentioned. But in terms of like the plot of it, I don't really know. I ended going in. I, I knew nothing about it. And I, and I mean, I get that because there's really not a whole lot to talk about in terms of plot. Yeah. So, I mean, my list of, of things is just that, as I mentioned before, a lot of people say this movie doesn't hold up. I'd heard that from, from multiple people. Every going, going into watching this movie, I was talking to people I knew. I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to watch Easy Rider tonight. And this look would kind of come over their face where they're like, Oh. Okay, buddy, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but yeah, let me know what you think. And I was just like, ooh, this does not bode well, which is kind of surprising to me because I really started to get the vibe that this movie was going to suck balls. And I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was interesting. I have obviously some complaints in terms of how some things are handled, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. So in terms of doesn't hold up, um, I want to talk, I want to get into that later when I'm really digging into the movie, but I, I think it does hold up. Personally, um, Nicholas Hopper Fonda, Peter Fonda. That's a name that I feel like I just, I know the name Peter Fonda, but I couldn't tell you for the life of me, the things that he's been in. And to be completely honest, before I started recording this, I didn't even bother Googling him and what he's in. So I might be sounding really dumb talking about him like this, but I think maybe it also kind of gives you an idea of my knowledge of him and him and the cultural zeitgeist. It's just a name I'd heard. Peter Fonda is a name I know for some reason, but I couldn't begin to tell you. I, I know the name Jane Fonda. I don't, do they have something to do with each other? There's, is there's, there's a Jane Fonda. I, I don't fucking know. I just, I'm digging a deeper hole for my idiocy. I apologize, but, uh, yeah. Um, and Dennis Hopper, I know Dennis Hopper. He's, uh, he's, a. Uh, He's sort of, uh, I guess you'd call him in his own way, he's in that sort of uh, Sam Jackson category where he's just in a lot of stuff. And him being in stuff is not a mark of 
whether that thing is going to be good or not. And if it's good, they tend to be great in it. You know, Sam Jackson, basically in anything that Tarantino does, Dennis Hopper, the same spoilers for a recommendation I'm going to make at the end of the podcast, but, uh, but Dennis Hopper's also been some pretty bad trash too. We just recently watched the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And oh man, I'm pretty sure he's drunk off his ass that entire movie. Um, I've seen uh, all of the Crow movies and he's in by far and away the worst one. And that, that movie's so bad that by the time he shows up as a jive talking satanic priest, I, I had no comments left. I, I, it happened. It, it was happening. I was like, that's Dennis Hopper. And he's saying like, yo dog, the dark Lord and shit diggity do. And I was just done. I, my mouth just stayed shut the whole time. And I was just, it's basically catatonic by the time he showed up in that movie. But all of that is to say that, yeah, he, he's kind of, it's rough. So him being in this movie for me was like, he could be great, but he could also be terrible. I have no idea. He directed it. I don't know if he's ever even really directed anything else since, since this, but I think as a director, he seems to be decently competent. Although I guess I, my guess would be because he's in front of the camera for the most part of this movie. It was, uh, you got to give a lot of credit, I assume, to the DP who was probably handling all the shooting and stuff. I'm sure Dennis Hopper knew his way around a camera and shit, but I'm gonna, I'm with with little guilt. I'm gonna give some. I'm gonna give a lot of the credit for the way this movie looks to uh, guy behind the camera whose name I don't remember because I'm a jerk. I advocate for cinematographers really hard, but I couldn't fucking tell you like barely any of their names which is so so criminal you know when I first started writing I was always I I got really obsessed with learning who screenwriters were and stuff like that because I'm like they wrote the whole fucking movie and no one knows who they are and I've started to learn them but I'm also on a kind of a cinematographer's matter kick and yet I still can't seem to buck up and learn their names either but you know but yeah I did know he directed this movie going in because I do look at the back of the box but uh yeah, I wrote down motorcycles as a thing. I, I mean, it's Easy Rider. It's a classic thing. They're on motorcycles. And yep, there was a lot of motorcycles in this movie. So I guess Notion Matt, I don't know. It's not exactly a checklist. It's just things I thought before <laughs> before going into the movie. I just was like, oh, there's going to be motorcycle stuff. It was cool. I mean, it was interesting. Um, their motorcycles... I thought their motorcycles were pretty cool. Although I thought Dennis Hopper's was, I feel like Peter Fonda's bike was the, the vastly superior cool bike. And Dennis Hopper had sort of a almost more like dirt bike type situation going on. I mean, they were, they were cool. I thought they were cool. I'm not trying to diss them or anything like that. But the, the last note I have is that the movie was 60s as fuck. I, yeah, I mean, it is obviously, because the thing is it goes hand in hand with people saying it doesn't hold up. It's supposedly a relic of its time. So I figured it was going to, you know, really feel, you, you feel the time. And you do. It's it's firmly set. The, the movie itself is a product of its time. It's using the things that were going on then and the way cultures felt about certain things are major, major plot points of the movie. And, and you know, the look and feel of it, it's grainy and gritty. And it has, it has that same early 70s vibe. And I could see how, why this is referred back to if this was sort of new at the time, it probably spawned a lot of people trying to imitate it in certain ways. It still it felt very fresh in, in some ways, too. You know, um, I don't know if it's because it's pervaded the sort of zeitgeist so much or if, if it's such a touchstone for people that maybe it's influenced a lot of people. And maybe that's why it still felt kind of fresh in certain ways. But I, 
I'm surprised it doesn't feel like some sort of antique by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of interesting road trip things that happen in this movie, a lot of scenes. And I, I want to talk about this later, but some of the editing choices are uh, stuff that even today would seem kind of whack and kind of like, whoa, they're doing something a little different there. I thought that was kind of interesting, but um, I don't know. Uh, I guess that's all I've got to say about that um, in terms of the 60s, at least. But hey, let's get into the summary of the movie. So yeah, what to say about the summary of this movie? I could be kind of a dick and just be like, they ride around on motorcycles and stuff. Um, By the way, spoilers, I guess, for Easy Rider. Um, Again, if for some reason you're listening to this episode and you have not seen Easy Rider, I'm probably not going to be the one to convince you. Um, Also, I'm going to just talk about it sort of willy-nilly. Hey, if you haven't seen it and you are listening to this, maybe me talking about it will make you interested, but also I'm going to spoil some stuff for you. Because I have to talk about the ending and stuff like that. So, and I'm going to talk about the ending in the summary because it's, I think it's kind of important. So, basically, got Wyatt and Billy, I believe their names are, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. They buy some Coke, they sell it, they decide to go on a road trip on their motorcycles. Um, it's sort of established early on that people don't really look kindly down on uh, their type, these freewheel and motorcycle looking dudes. They get, Locked out of a, not locked out, but they don't get accepted at a motel, so they sleep in the woods. They pick up this hiker guy, uh, and then they go to this commune for hippies and stuff, and they have a little fun there, swim in a swimming hole. Hit the road again. It kind of like hard cuts to them just in jail suddenly, and that's where they meet Jack Nicholson, who turns out to be an alcoholic lawyer who's in there sleeping the night off. They say they're going down to Nolens to hang out at Mardi Gras. They convince Jack Nicholson to come along because he thinks it sounds like fun. They stop in this hick town, a diner. It's kind of established that they're not really welcome there, so they bail out and go sleep in the woods again. And while they're sleeping, uh, apparently these guys from the diner find them in the woods, uh, beat the shit out of all of them, kill Jack Nicholson. Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper decide to keep going. They make it to New Orleans. They have a fucking drug-fueled orgy thing in the cemetery (laughs) during Mardi Gras. So that happens. And then they get back on the road and they're cruising. They have like one less conversation. They're driving. And then the ending happens, which again, if you haven't seen this, maybe, maybe this is a, this is a big spoiler, but skip ahead like 30 seconds. Basically they're driving some Hicks decide to fuck with them. One of them shoots Dennis Hopper. He fucking dies. Peter Fonda jumps on his bike to go get help. They shoot him, I guess, and then his motorcycle explodes in a fireball, which is something that we actually see that he saw in the drug thing, and then the movie ends with like a helicopter shot as they're just both dead in the credits roll. And it's a big bummer, but I also get why it ends the way that it does, but yeah, we can get into that. But yeah, so that's the movie. Um, yeah, now I'm going to try to dig into it a little bit especially my notes. So the movie starts off, it's in Mexico. Uh, Something I forgot to mention, Escape from New York really upset me because it didn't have English subtitles. I don't know if I've mentioned before, but I'm uh, 50% deaf. And so I put subtitles on all my movies and I had, thankfully I had like closed captioning is also a thing on my PS4, which is basically what I watch all these things on. So I was still able to watch that, but fuck Escape from New York for not having subtitles, you assholes. Dick move. But this one thankfully did, but they don't kick in for like the first 
friggin' five, seven minutes of this movie because they're in Mexico and everyone's speaking Spanish and they don't even put the subtitles up for what they're saying. I was like fiddling with my TV trying to figure I, I turned it way up and realized I was like, oh, they're speaking Spanish. Okay. I guess they're just not going to subtitle that. I, I know Spanish well enough that if they had thrown the words up there, I could have kind of parsed through what they were saying. But yeah, my, my first note was they, 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 uh, are buying Coke from this guy and they each do the thing where they snort it. And I just couldn't help but thinking is especially like given what the background of this movie seems to be. I was like, I bet that's just real cocaine. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I kind of got, I got, I got a bit of an amusement out of just being like, it's the fucking early seventies and they're making movies. And like, they just straight up snorting Coke on screen. I just, I thought that was kind of a funny, and then they have this really interesting scene. I, I, so that happened and it was like decently well shot. And I, I was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of hopeful all of a sudden that this might not be a shitty movie. And then they have what I think is a really interesting scene where they are parked out right by an airport where planes are flying in and coming in for the landing and flying out the entire time. And the whole sound is just completely blown out with just airplane noises whooshing overhead to the point where they can't even talk to the, the really eccentrically dressed guy that shows up to buy the cocaine. They're like climbing the car. He snorts the Coke. They just kind of mouth words and point at each other. And I just not to, I'm not trying to get into every little minutia of the thing, but I just, I was like, I don't think I've seen a scene quite like that before. I just thought it was really interesting. That was, that was the point when I was like, that was a cool scene. I think this movie might be decent. And then I kind of really got on board from there. And then they immediately uh, didn't. I was I was kind of trying to keep track of the songs that they played, but I don't think I started it until they started playing the really iconic song, which I'll get to. But they, they make the sale, and then just suddenly the airport noise is cut off, and they just go straight into the opening song of the movie, which I don't really remember what it was, but I just remember being like, oh, this is fun. I like this. And they're driving around on their motorcycles and the opening is just a fun credit scene. They do all the credits and they're riding on their motorcycles and they play this whole song. I was like, this is enjoyable. I, I'm having fun already. They try to do the motel thing. And, and it's, it's interesting because this isn't the most dialogue heavy movie of all time. It's a lot of them riding around on motorcycles and doing drugs and swimming around and having trippy you no, know, there's just really honestly the one trippy scene, but it's a lot of music and driving. But I think they do a good job threading in the themes that they're going for in this movie because early on they try to stop at a motel. You get that scene where they're kind of outside, they have their motorcycle still on, they're just like, Hey, hey, you got a room? And the guy just kind of pokes his head out and then he goes back in and just flips the vacancy sign to no vacancy, which is like no vacancy is just. Something I don't even know if you even see that anymore. So that was like a, whoa, no vacancy. I haven't seen a sign like that in a minute. So early on, it's established. These are the kind of, they're not wanted by society. You know, they go sleep out in the woods and smoke dope. And Dennis Hopper has some stoner talk. I I don't specifically remember the things that they talk about, but I do remember uh, every time they're smoking a joint, I I just was like, that looks real. That looks exactly like what a joint uh a joint would look like. And I was pretty sure they were definitely for real smoking weed on camera, which, Hey, I mean, fuck it. I'm all for it. If if they can act through it. Although I will say Dennis Hopper, he's either really good at pretending he's high or I'm pretty sure he was pretty high for a lot of this movie. 
<laughs> but yeah, and I think it was interesting that they give, does he call him American Jack or just the American, uh, Dennis Hopper calls Peter Fonda's character American something a couple times. But it was interesting because it, it, it is really important, I think, to the characters, or at least Peter Fonda's character arc, that he has this motorcycle, American flag motorcycle, this cool jacket with the American flag on the back. And I think even his helmet is an American flag. And I think that's really relevant to the, to the themes of the movie and, and just how his character views the world. Cause he doesn't say a lot. He, I don't even think he has like a single monologue in this entire thing, except like when he's crying and on drugs, maybe towards the end when they're in new Orleans, but he's, he's really quiet and contemplative. And, and the movie isn't afraid to just, spend time on his face while he's observing things happen, which I always really appreciate. There's just interesting touches. I, I, that's what I'm saying about this movie is a lot of people seem to think it doesn't hold up, but I think, I really think it does. It's well-crafted. And even if I've heard rumors about uh, all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes and how high off their asses they were and all that stuff. But I, I think it is a really well-crafted movie in a lot of regards. And, and Peter Fonda's character is handled in a really interesting way. He's your classic straight man, lead lead character. He cuts a really nice rakish figure, he, uh, and he's just really quiet and contemplative, observing the world. We're, we're going on this. He's our audience sort of sir. He has his own personality, but he is still also sort of our surrogate character. You get, Dennis Hopper gets to be the much zanier, eccentric person with the hat and the, and the stash and the cowboy jacket and all that stuff. And then you got... Wyatt with just the American flag and riding through the countryside. And I just thought it was really interesting. I, I just noticed really early on that they spend time on his face, just observing the environment. And it's kind of about them traveling through America. And, you know, uh, it's really clear that he's this idealistic person. He, I think he likes the country that he lives in, even as much of a, an outsider as a lot of people consider him to be. Uh, I, th I think it's interesting. I'll, I'll get into where they end up towards the end, but um, you know, one of the first things that happens is they come across this ranch where <laughs> I was kind of confused because you know they do a, a lot. Of, there's multiple scenes in this movie where when they have a big group, they just kind of pan across everybody's face, give everybody a little FaceTime. I don't know if that was super intentional or if it was just like the movie was so low budget that anyone that was in the movie, they're like, we have to give screen time to you. I promise you'll get a close up. It's kind of fun to imagine, but checking my notes, I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of myself because uh, early on they do. Uh, okay. So there's a scene where Peter Fonda looks at his watch and he takes it off and throws it on the ground. And the way it's cut together is the first indication that this movie's going to have some weird editing choices. I had to rewind it. It was the first time I rewound it in the movie, and I did it a few times because there's there's some points of the movie that are edited so strangely that I, I was very confused when it happened. I had to back it up and figure out what the hell just happened. And he, he throws the watch on the ground, and does this weird cut, 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 and then they, they ride off, and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And... Yeah, but as soon as that happens, they start playing Born to be Wild, which I think is, and this happens all the time, and I don't do any research because I'm lazy as shit, and I apologize if I sound stupid, but I couldn't help but wonder if that was the first instance of Born to be Wild being played in a movie. Because again, that's a song that you can you can't even really get away with playing it in a movie anymore because it's so beyond cliche at this point. At the time, I just couldn't help but think like, at the time, that must have been crazy that needle drop uh, such a like, that song is really it's so cliche at this point but it's a damn good song and 
uh, just bravo for them for especially if that's the first time they that a movie used that song. That's that's fucking cool, and I think that's a sort of a indication of how much this movie has impacted people because there's certain songs that you, you can't even really get away with playing them anymore. That you know uh, the uh, what's that that song where the guy does the really low voice uh, whenever like there's a sexy woman walking down the sidewalk is just like oh yeah and like it's in the uh, Rob Schneider's The Animal and probably like a thousand other movies and sadly Born to the Be, Be Wild is in that category kind of now but as soon as it hit during this movie and they and they played almost the whole thing I was I was into it I was super into it. But then they get to the ranch and you have that scene where I know it's rough. It's it's a rough uh, on the nose metaphor when I immediately notice it. And, and the scene is just you have the guy changing the horse's horseshoe right as Peter Font and Dennis Hopper are changing the tire on their bike. And it's all look at the old versus the new, the new cowboys and stuff like that. And it's I, I, I sighed when it happened and I, I made a note of it. But I, I don't hate it. I mean, especially for the time, you know. I mean, if if it's not it's not like it was a particularly intrusive scene or shot or anything like that. And I think it communicates the intention of what they're going for. And it happens really early on. I don't think there's anything that that's nearly as blunt in the movie, other than you know, there's like the really hateful redneck characters, which we can talk about later. But uh, I, I kind of forgive it at the time. I was like, oh god, and I was kind of stealing myself for a lot of really on the nose things to happen, but I don't think it gets that crazy later on. So in retrospect, I, even though it was really obvious what they were doing, I think it does a good job of setting up that because, you know, th- this is a road trip movie, but there's, there's some Western neat elements to it. It's not your classic, uh, you know, man blows into town and it, and they're fighting each other. It's, it's, a, cause it is a road trip movie, but it, it does feel definitely has some westerny elements to it and i think i've read that they were trying to make a modern day western and i think you kind of need that early on there they're on this ranch it's sort of an older type of lifestyle and, and peter fonda he's very sincere i think when he tells the the lead guy of the ranch he's just saying he really likes the spread he's got out there and that he should be proud and it's interesting because it's just early on you have these two characters who are clearly these ramblers just traveling around. They presumably don't even have homes, even if they are from LA essentially, but he still appreciates someone that's made a home for themselves, especially out in the frontier and stuff like that. That I think he respects different people's interpretations of what freedom is. Cause I think ultimately Peter Fonda's character is all about freedom, but he doesn't, I don't think he thinks that everyone has to live the way that he lives. He he appreciates that this guy's carved out his own life out in the land. And even if that way of life is maybe dying a little bit, I just, I, I found that scene really interesting. Cause it just, he, he kind of, the guy kind of looks at him and he just kind of reiterates his point. And then the scene just ends and it, it just was kind of like, okay. Uh, and I wasn't sure how much conflict this movie was going to have. So stuff like that, you almost, and, and you know, they've been established as sort of criminals at this point. So I half expected to they're sleeping and maybe they robbed the place, but it just cuts straight back to them out on the road again. <laughs> so it just kind of, and when, when that happened, uh, it, 
And like, as soon as the scene, you, you never know when a scene's going to end. And then the scene ends the way it did with just, I really like what you got out here. And then the scene just ends. That's when you're can kind of sort of in your mind backtrack and go, okay, so what was that scene actually about? And if, that's all that happened in the scene. It wasn't just some pointless scene. So the scene's obviously just a sort of a character scene to establish his, his viewpoint. And I, I liked it ultimately. I think, it, I think it really adds to his arc, that little break. And uh, speaking of not a lot of conflict, uh, the next thing is them picking up that hitchhiker, which they do in a completely nonverbal scene. That was, that was something that was interesting about this movie. And I'm curious if how much of it, again, it, I think even when things aren't necessarily intentional and they're just done because that's what they got to do, it still does say a lot about the movie. And I found it interesting that they did the whole hitchhiker scene non-verbally. Basically they do the selling the drugs scene non-verbally. And I know part of it probably was, it's just easier to throw the camera guy on the back of a truck. Let's just, we need to see him when we pick up the hitchhiker. Well, what are we going to do with the fucking mic? Fuck it. We'll just put some music over it and, and we'll just pick him up. It'll be fine. And I found that interesting. It's, it's very visual storytelling. And I feel, I, I mean, I know the script was probably pretty minimalist, but I, I liked it. Uh, I, I was very confused. Uh, <laughs> obviously, our uh, relationship with picking up hitchhikers in this day and age is a lot different than it apparently was in 1969. But you know, I felt like Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper were pretty confident guys. I wasn't super surprised. They just picked a random dude up. Like I said, speaking of the no conflict, you're like, okay, so this hitchhiker is going to show up. And it's established early on that uh, Peter Fonda has rolled up all their money and put it in a tube in his gas tank. And there's even a point when they're getting gas when Dennis Hopper's like, can't let that guy fill up the gas, man. He's going to gonna see inside the gas tank and then fucked, man. I'm not quoting him verbatim. I don't remember what he actually says. But he pulls him aside like five feet from the guy and starts talking about, oh, man, he's going to see the money, man. Uh, yeah, he's probably going to hear you bitching about how he's going to see the money a lot faster than he's going to see what's inside the damn gas tank. But, you know, I was like, okay, so the hitchhiker's going to rob them, I guess. And then he just doesn't. It never comes into play. At first, I was like, especially since they got rid of the hitchhiker eventually, I was like, well, someone else is definitely going to steal the money. And I think eventually what happens is technically, I guess, what you're, but it doesn't really matter with how the movie ends. But no one ever tries to steal the money. Jack Nicholson doesn't try to steal the money. The chicks never steal the money. I thought the chicks were going to join them for the road trip. They don't. They just go to this hippie commune and they hang out. And I expected some conflict because one of the chicks seemed to be with one guy, but Dennis Hopper was on her pretty hard, but nope, it's all free love and peace and shit, man. And Dennis Hopper was all fucked up for some reason, but he didn't apparently cause enough trouble to cause anything. They just have a really nice time skinny dipping in uh, some sort of lake and then they travel on. And again, at that point, I'd started to realize this movie's not necessarily so much about giving you scenes of conflict, but it's just a very at its core road trip movie where every stop has a certain there's a certain idea to the group of people that they're spending time with, and it's just supposed to sort of add to the overall picture of America, essentially, that they're painting in this movie. And again, you see Peter Fonda have a appreciation for these people. They're super-duper hippies, and I, I think he even says out loud at one point that they are kind of sort of come from rich families and they're young and dumb and don't really know what they're doing. But he just, Dennis Hopper's like, these guys are fucked, man. And Peter Fonda's just like, nah, man, I think they're going to make it. And you're like, man, he really, I don't know. He's just, it's, it's interesting because he seems so sincere 
about it. He just really has a lot of hope in him. It's interesting. So they, they drive on. At some point during the Hitchhiker thing, I think they do the uh, Take a Load Off Fanny song, which was fun because I've definitely heard that one before. That was really enjoyable. The the mime people, they sing Does Your Hair Hang Low at one point. I found that very interesting because, uh, and I might be dating myself, but for a while there was a Does Your Chain Hang Low song. I, I know it was made into a rap song, but I, I always assumed that that was based off some sort of old folk song. Uh, maybe like a like a song from like the slave days or something, but they were singing the hair hang low. Again, my uh, ignorance and lack of research is sort of damning me at this point, but I, I, just, I found that an interesting cultural touchstone because I just hair hang low, chain hang low, was, I, what came first and how does that factor in? I just wasn't sure what they were saying with that, but I wasn't born to follow. I put an exclamation point, so I think that means that was a song. Uh, <laughs> but I don't remember. I, I at one point, every time a a song started, I would hold up my phone and shazam it, just to see if it was something I recognized. Um, but I I think even people that don't think this movie holds up, even though I think it does in certain respects, I think everyone agrees that the soundtrack is really fun. Even if I, I read a couple of reviews as soon as the movie was over, because I wanted to kind of confirm this sort of thought that people weren't as into this movie anymore. And I've heard some people, they kind of sarcastically were like, oh, Hopper and Fonda show off their record collection. I'm like, fuck you, man. They're the ones making the movie. Like, put your tastes into the movie. That's what makes movies fun and individual. A a movie should be something that no one else but you could make. And if it's them putting their record collection in the movie, then fuck it. That's cool. I don't know why that's a bad thing. People say it like it's, they're just talking about it. Like, oh yeah, these fucking guys. I'm like, the fucking record collection was cool. I'd hang out and listen to music with them any day. I like, I like their taste. I don't know. I just don't get that. Yeah. Just basically smash cuts them in jail. It was just a brief, parade thing that happens and then just bam they're in jail and it's like it's not like extensive or anything but Dennis Hopper he throws a fit but he has to kind of also explain why they're in jail because there's just no footage of them actually being arrested it's just man no permit to party man it's fucked up man and I was like uh, okay I guess they got arrested but that's where we get to meet Jack Nicholson I I, I pegged that he was kind of nicely dressed really early on. And it was funny because I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything, but I, I immediately was like, oh, he seems like a lawyer or something. I bet he's a lawyer. He's just like sleeping it off because he got too drunk. And I was exactly right. So I don't know if that's a sign of that's maybe been copied so much that that's why I kind of called it. Because I'm not, I, I never in a million years would think that that's a, that was something cliche to do at the time they made Easy Rider, but it's probably a little cliche to do nowadays, but I certainly wasn't holding it against Easy Rider because even though I am watching it through the lens of the present, I, I'm not going to judge movies purely based on what's acceptable today because you have to kind of put yourself in the mindset of what things were like when they made the movie. And I feel like that was fun, a fun way to introduce a character. He's Southern as fuck. They, they don't do the greatest job kind of telling you where we're at in certain parts of the movie, I never know where they are ever uh, location wise. You just know they're heading to new Orleans, presumably from California. And they're apparently in some super Southern town and Jack Nicholson's super Southern as fuck. But 
they get out. I think I think that's the scene where they call somebody a cool dude. I honestly don't remember at what point in the movie they do the dude thing, but that was a real interesting moment because they're like, dude, what's dude mean? Like a dude ranch? And I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> that was a interesting cultural thing where I was like, okay, so back when this movie was made, I don't know how true to life it was, but the, the term dude was uh, pretty outlandish to some people, I guess. So I, I was, I found myself very curious about that. Cause I don't know if that was even at the time, maybe people that were a little hipper. It, it's, it's like in today search and replace your own word, but that the, you always see those scenes where they, people establish like, I don't know what I'm completely at a loss for what a great example for today would be. It's just, I don't know what, no, what, what's, what's a Facebook, I guess would be the equivalent of today. It's like, Oh, can I add you on Facebook? What's a, what's a, what's a Facebook? I don't know what that is. Is it like, was it that ridiculous when they made this or was it genuinely just only California people said, dude, I, I just, that was like a, I, I just mention it because in today's day, day and age, dude, I don't think, do people even say dude anymore? I say man a lot and call people man and guys. And I don't think I say dude very much though. Dude, bring back dude, hashtag bring back dude, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. You also get Jack Nicholson as soon as they get out of jail, he pulls out a bottle of Jim Beam and drinks it. And I don't exactly remember specifically how it goes, but he just really inhales sharp. He just yip, 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 yip. And then he just exclaims, Indians. And that that really caught me off guard. That, I think that's the hardest I laughed the whole movie was when he just yelled out Indians out of nowhere. Because uh, I remember I wrote that down. Um, it made me laugh really hard because I did. I was not expecting that. I didn't know if that was a reference to like Firewater or uh, it's kind of a running gag that he like yells shit after he takes a drink and does that yip yip thing. But I, I just thought that was really funny. I was like, is he racist? Or I, don't, I didn't know what they were trying to say when that happened. But I laughed pretty hard just to, because of how unexpected it was. But but they convinced Jack to go on the road with them, which is I was like, I was excited uh, so I was like, cause I was worried they were just going to leave. I was like, is that the only scene Jack Nichols is in? That would suck. But of course, I think anyone that's watched the movie, he's probably, I assume the most memorable part for most people. And cause he, he shows up and really starts stealing the scenes. And then he says, he's got a helmet and it cuts to him on the back of the bike. He's got that goofy ass gold helmet, football helmet. On. I was just like, Jesus Christ. Was, uh, I, I found my, like, it made me laugh and I'm curious I, I assume back in the day when that was, was that that's almost a, another thing that you just yeah oh yeah I got a real cool helmet and then just cut to something really silly. It's almost been done to death at this point, but I, I have a strong feeling back in the day that was God audience is pretty good. I assume when they were screening the movie, people people probably really enjoyed that bit. And he looks silly as fuck while they're doing it, and it's it's great. And they road trip some more. I think they play Six Was Nine by Jimi Hendrix, which was fucking awesome. That was probably my favorite needle drop in the whole movie. Although Born to be Wild was pretty great. but And then Jack Nicholson, he gets to do his monologues and stuff. And I just I thought it was really interesting. They're smoking pot, and he goes on this big old rant about how aliens already landed on Earth and they're living among us. And that's an, that was something um, I, I want to talk about this in a second in terms of how even some, even though some of the specifics don't hold up in today's day and age, I think 
you can view this movie in the same way that you can kind of view a sci-fi movie and or a high concept sci-fi movie in, in the sense that I find it strange that I feel like audiences, if you go into a high concept sci-fi movie, there's usually at least one thing that you're expected to buy at face value. What's the weird thing about this world? Uh, there's a movie Frequency where it, everything seems pretty normal, except we live in a world where everyone has a certain frequency and you can only mate with people that have a similar frequency to yours. And the, it's about the guy cheating that system. Or there's a movie called Timer where we exist in a world where you can get this implant on your wrist and it'll tell you to the second when you meet your uh, the person you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Um, and I, I think you... Uh, bear with me here. I swear to God I'm going to make a connection. But you can think of this movie in the same way now in that there are certain things about the way the world is in the world they're living in that aren't even remotely close to the way things are today. But at the same time, I think you go into it I mean, we have no problem with period pieces. You make a movie today, but you set it in the Prohibition era. Everyone goes into it and goes, okay, I understand what this is. I think it's the same thing with Easy Rider. You understand this is 1969, and I think it plays fine. I'm not like, oh, that's so antiquated. I think the themes are still, like, as it is with a lot of movies about adversity and stuff like that, sadly relevant today just the feeling of being an outsider and stuff like that. I think it completely holds up. And then one of the things that's still oddly relevant is Jack Nicholson's alien rant. He rants about how aliens still live among us. And I, people are still having that conversation today. Everyone's uh, your, your best conspiracy theorists are very, very convinced that aliens definitely live among us. And it's, it's, it's a fun thing to think about. I'm definitely in that camp of if there really are all those universes out there, the chance that, there's no other life out in the universe seems very fucking slim. And it seems really weird. It, it seems like the dumb thing to believe would be to believe that there's no such thing as aliens, because I guess just in terms of statistics, that seems like silly. Uh, and there's a lot of theories to explain why we've never met them. And then some people I'm sure just don't believe them, but just hearing him and he has like such specifics to me and he's high as balls. But he's just talking about how Saturn is, or the what does he call them the Saturians and he just has like specific things for him and then Dennis Hopper just hard calls him out on what bullshit it is I thought for a second they were going to get into a fight but it was it's pretty silly I found it strange that eccentric Dennis Hopper was just flat out no there's no government conspiracies and no no damn aliens and shit like that I, I found that interesting but I just I, I think some people maybe think that the politics of this movie don't hold up or something like that. But I found Jack Nicholson's got a couple rants that campfire rants that he goes on that I think are still interesting to think about in today's day and age, talking about how aliens are their technology is so advanced that everyone has the has the ability to to be self sufficient and live on their own and be their own person and. I mean, that's certainly not the point we've gotten to today. We're not all self-reliant, so self-reliant on technology that everyone's just good. There's all technologies brought us together, but also divided us in really weird and shitty and sometimes cool ways. And I don't know. I, I found his little monologue. It's, and it's still silly. It's delivered in a fun way. I, I thought it was really compelling. I liked it a lot. I don't know. Um, also, I'm pretty sure they're probably all for real smoking weed. I wouldn't be super surprised if his, oh, it went out, was actually just ad-libbed because he just was doing his lines so much that the joint actually went out. I don't know. I, I seem to get a really big kick out of the idea of these guys genuinely being 
uh, off their asses while they were doing this movie, which, again, I think they might have been, but I don't know why I think that's funny. But yeah, you get the diner scene, and it's tough because it's it's easy to, to look at that scene because they walk in, and even Jack Nicholson, now that he's hanging out with Fonda and Hopper, everyone's kind of eyeing him suspiciously. There's a table of, they looked like underage girls, so it's a teensy bit uncomfortable but they're all like whoa look at these bad boys they got motorcycles i'm gonna go talk to them i'm gonna ask them for a ride and uh, i found the way that scene was cut together it wasn't in an interesting way because they really kept the momentum of the scene moving but i never really got too lost but like even just the sound design certain lines were cutting in and stuff but you have that table with the sheriff and the rednecks and they're just like look at that hair look at those long hair boys and stuff like that and it's so it's hard because it, it's become such a thing that people lean on the rural South and the, the ignorant hicks and stuff like that. And uh, we don't we don't like your kind around these parts, you her and stuff like that. But A, I live in a very small town in Indiana and I don't think people are as, as crazy as that. But you still even see that those types of people even out here in rural Indiana. And I've spent some time in Arkansas before and it's. I mean, shit, they, they got dry counties in Arkansas still. Just flat out an entire county, there ain't no, there's no booze. And there's just a bunch of liquor stores on the county lines. You got to drive over the county line to get booze and then drive it back, which is ridiculous. And there still are those types of people. Are they necessarily hating the long-haired hippies anymore? I don't know if that's necessarily their target. It's hard for me to, to sit here and pretend like that's not still kind of relevant. And again, and I know it's a strange connection to make, but I think if you really look at this movie as a period piece or even a sort of a strange sci-fi dystopian piece, it gets the point across of what they're trying to say in the movie. There's people that don't, they see Fonda and Hopper and Nicholson as, you know, traitors to their lifestyle and they're, they're scared of them. I think it's, I think Jack Nicholson has the rant about how, they're afraid of us. And it's like, well, they're afraid of us. We aren't gangsters or whatever. And he says, no, they're scared because you represent freedom. They're afraid of you because you represent something they'll never have. And it's just, it's a good, it's a good little bit. And I think it really crystallizes some of the stuff they're trying to say. And I know maybe some of it comes off as a little pretentious, maybe just because the filmmakers are so close to the material. But I mean, I think it does its job in terms of what they're trying to say. And then they get attacked in the woods. And I had to rewind it a couple of times because the way Fonda and Hopper handle Nicholson dying is very, very, very nonchalant and confusing to the point where I was like, no, there was definitely multiple guys beating them up. And I think they're beat up too. It's a, it's edited very strangely. And I, I, I highly doubt it was super intentional the way they edited. I have a feeling it was probably just hard to get the footage and they just cut together what they had. But there was a brief moment where I thought maybe Hopper and Fonda had killed Nicholson because they were, they were taking his money and they're just sitting next to his dead body like, oh, he's, he's dead. Oh, man, he's got the card. I don't fucking know, man. What are we going to do? Oh, we'll get to his family or whatever. I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I rewound it. And I was like, okay, that's definitely... Because the other thing is it cuts to them in New Orleans and they barely look beat up. And it, it, later they turn their head and I was like, okay, they're bruised up. They definitely got beat up. But the two true Freedom Riders, they, they, they get out of it. But Nicholson bites the dust on that. And I think it's interesting. I'm not going to pretend like it's my theory because I think I read it somewhere. I think it is pretty significant that Nicholson dies because he's essentially the traitor that joined the guys that represent what these people are so afraid of. And that's why maybe he dies and they don't necessarily in this scene because 
they're they're more mad at one of their own kind turning traitor than even just these people. Those people are just those people, but you, you were one of us, and now you betrayed us, and now we beat you to death with baseball bats, and you'd fucking die. And I was just, I, I was pretty stunned. I was sad, Jack Nicholson. I thought I was excited to see him party in Mardi Gras, but no, no, no fun for him, I guess. And then they they cuts them in New Orleans, which something I find interesting about this movie is for for a movie that shows them on the road a lot. A lot of times when they need to get to the next place, it just kind of smash cuts to smash cuts of them in jail and just smash cuts to, I think, them eating dinner in New Orleans, trying to decide if they're going to go to the whorehouse or not. But yeah, the one bit of research I did do, I found out that the New Orleans stuff, they actually shot first, and which probably explains why it's a lot grainier. Although I liked, I kind of got the, I liked how grainy it was them walking around New Orleans. I thought it added to the the vibe. I kind of assumed they were a little drugged up and drunk and stuff. I didn't know where it was going, but boy, oh boy, it turns out they shot that before they had even gotten funding for the film. So I find that to be an interesting little tidbit. It kind of probably also explains why they don't look so beat up. Like they probably should have looked a little more fucked up compared to how bad they got beaten in the woods. But they didn't. I don't think they knew how bad they were going to get beaten in the woods when they were shooting that. So I guess kudos to them for having the foresight to even put a little bruising on their faces before doing it. But also kind of explains why old Jack Nicholson didn't get to make it to New Orleans because he probably wasn't even on board with the film when they were shooting that at that point. So uh, sorry he had to die again. I think it's interesting because I talked about how, oh, him turning traitor, that's why he died. But logistically, maybe it was just because he couldn't come to New Orleans because he wasn't in the footage they shot. But I think I think it's fun how things like that kind of come together. You can still draw meanings if you've ever heard of, uh, you know, there's the movie The Matrix, but the idea of the matrix, we're living in this matrix, you know, the thing where the computer runs out of juice and it just simulates the same thing over and over. I heard the phrase death of the author a few times this week for some reason. It happened like multiple times to the point where I was like, I just heard that. And death of the author means that you take away the author's intention and just take your own interpretation from it. And technically speaking, some of the choices in this movie might purely just be logistic. Like the way the movie ends might just purely be because they were able to get a hold of a helicopter and they thought it'd be a cool shot. The whole piece, when you're looking at it, it defines what the movie actually became. And so Jack Nicholson dying, maybe it was a choice they had to make because they're like, well, he wasn't with us when we shot in New Orleans, so he's got to leave the movie somehow. So fuck it, he's dead. You know, I think it's those creative constraints that breed some of the best filmmaking. It's, it's why Star Wars is as good as it is because when George Lucas was only able to do certain things, when he's constrained in a certain way, he the things that he is good at, he's able to put into the movie and then they're able to build around it and then you see what happens with the prequels. When he's allowed to do whatever the fuck he wants, it becomes a fucking mess and it's the same thing I think with this movie where I think they only had half a million dollars to make it. They had to make some choices and I, I'm very interested to, I wonder about Jack Nicholson dying if that was... Well, he's got to leave. I guess he could just leave. He could get drunk. I mean, they established him as a drunk. I kept expecting him to get drunk and rob him or fight him or something like that. But no, he just gets killed. And I think that says a lot about, I feel like they probably had to get him out of the movie somehow. And the choice they make, I think, is very indicative of the kind of movie they were trying to make. And maybe it's something they had never even thought about going into it. But because of what they were forced to do, I think overall, it just actually adds to to the movie in an interesting way. I don't know. I'm rambling at this point because I don't really feel like talking about their weird drug montage they have in the New Orleans cemetery. <laughs> not a, not a fan of abstract art and uh, what do they call that? Uh, uh, I always forget the name. Those weird 
arty movie art house movies where you, you just cut random shit together and it's supposed to be meaningful and shit like like don't get me wrong when i watch movies i really try to get into them uh, my problem with that part was it really felt like a drug fu- fueled fucked up just jeez man they that whole sequence is just and it goes on so fucking long i was just sitting there i just had a drink in my hand and i was just watching it and i was like oh my God, I don't know. This is insane. It's like giving me a headache. I, I don't know. That was crazy. It's, it's hard for me to talk about. It's a hot mess, but I also think it really gets across the feeling that they were going for in an interesting way. So ultimately, now that I've lived through it and I can just think fondly back on it, I, I look upon it favorably. But at the time, I was just, what the fuck is happening right now? He's crying. He's hugging a statue and she's naked. She being Tony Basil. Uh, oh, Mickey, she's so fine. Tony Basil. Love her. Uh, she's gorgeous in this movie, too. Oh, man, I fucking love Tony Basil. Just a side note. I was excited when the credits came. I was like, oh, that was Tony. I fucking knew who I knew I knew who that was. I was excited. But that's beside the point. But, yeah, they're on ecstasy or whatever the hell they're on. And I guess it's a bad trip. There's a lot of interesting. I found the dialogue really interesting. Whenever I would pick out things that they were speaking, like the the blonde chick, she had a a lot of lot going on. And again, I kept expecting weird conflict to pop up in the movie. So I kept expecting them to get found out and shot or something weird happened, but no, just does the whole damn thing. And then they're just back out on the road again. And you get one last scene where Peter Fonda says, uh, we blew it. I think that's supposedly one of the iconic lines from this movie. We blew it, you know, and he just seems really bummed out. Like, I don't know if it was just, he doesn't think they've done with their freedom, the things that they were supposed to do or, what there's a lot of interesting ways to take that. Uh, knowing how the movie ends now, it's kind of rough. They just he says we blew it. It's kind of gets you in the mindset like oh, that's a bit of a downer. And then they just they're riding these rednecks show up. They shoot Dennis Hopper in the fucking chest, and then Peter Fonda tries to go get help, and he gets shot, and bike explodes, and the helicopter just floats away. And you're just like, wow, those guys are just dead. This movie really ends on a downer, and it's tough because I think the movie kind of needed to end that way having watched it now because it is the whole movie Peter Fonda's character is very hopeful and he's obviously got his demons that drug scene I think uh, obviously you see some of that but ultimately he seems kind of he, he has a lot of hope for the people especially the ones that he meets that are doing their own thing and then I, I think you know you meet Jack Nicholson and there's some hope in that you can take this country bred lawyer guy and show him the ways of the world and he can enjoy it and deep down he's obviously got a lot of interesting ideas about how things work and he gets killed, and I, I, I think from there, that's kind of where the movie goes into its tailspin. You know, they have fun with, with the prostitutes, but it's really rough, and then it's just it's kind of a downer. And I, I think it's probably reflective of how Hopper and Fonda and them kind of felt about the world at that point. They made this movie, and, and essentially it was a cry of protest, a cry of rebellion, of we want to be free and, and do the things we want to do, you know, and we feel like we're oppressed and and suppressed and stuff like that so I, I really do get the way why the movie ends the way it does but it is it is always a bummer to finish a movie with just a fiery death crash of this guy you just watched go on this journey for 90 minutes so that was rough but i guess it is what it is sometimes you meet a guy with a shotgun on the road and he just shoots you i guess that's yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think it's time for me to get into my rating of this movie. I'll be completely honest. I haven't put any fucking thought into what I'm actually going to give this movie. Again, I'd like to reiterate here on Clear Tinted Classics, this podcast show, if you want to call it 
a show, I guess. Uh, my system is a little harsher than your average rankings because the nature of the show is I'll presumably be watching some of the best movies of all time, so I don't want to put them up against just any old movie, put them up against themselves. For example, I gave The Godfather an 8.5. That gives you an idea if for some reason this is the first episode you've ever listened to. So Easy Rider, I think it really gets done what it's trying to say. I think it's a really pretty movie in its own right. It's a really good ode, a precursor to that 70s cinema that I claim to like so much, you know, your Rockies and stuff like that. Like, I really feel like this is a movie that paved the way for that kind of stuff. I think it paved the way for movies like Rocky, these personal stories, you know, shot in that way. These these filmmakers who just were like, fuck it, we're going to do our own thing and make our own thing. I thought it was good. I, I don't know if it was because I was going into it. Because when I went to Escape from New York, I was expecting a really cool movie. I was really disappointed. And I, I think expectation does have a lot to do with how you go into a movie. And for me, a lot of times if I go in with really low expectations, I've always come away pleasantly surprised. I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I thought it was fun. I thought the music was good. I thought the performances were really good, even though they were probably all coked and drugged up the entire time. Like, good for them. They fucking fought through it. I thought Peter Fonda made a great leading character. Jack Nicholson's memorable as fuck. The movie has a downer ending. The editing's fucking crazy. Their scene transitions are bizarre. That's one thing that I don't think anybody really took away from that movie was the weird edits, but I thought it was good. Um, It's not Chinatown or Godfather good, but it was good. I think I'm going to give this movie a... I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. 6. 6.5. Let me give it a 6.5. I was pleasantly surprised. As soon as I finished it, I was I was happy the whole time I was watching it. My, my biggest knocks are the editing's kind of strange. It is a very minimalist movie, what I think it's supposed to be. It felt long. I will say that. The movie felt long. I was surprised. At one point, I paused it, and I was like, Jesus Christ, is this almost over? Which is rough to say about a movie that's only 90 minutes long, but 6.5. Yeah. And last but hopefully not least, I want to recommend a couple movies. Um, I'm going to recommend two this time. Because my first recommend, the whole point of this is to recommend movies maybe you haven't seen before. And the first one, I think, is a movie that a lot of people have found in their own time. But I got to recommend it just in case you haven't seen it. The only connection to it is Dennis Hopper. But there's a movie called True Romance. It was written by Quentin Tarantino. It was directed by Tony Scott. Um, and it's fucking fantastic. And Dennis Hopper and has a scene in the movie with Christopher Walken. It's one of the greatest scenes of all time. And he's fucking great in it. His monologue is amazing. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's Dennis Hopper at his best, just as anyone is probably at their best when they're reading Tarantino dialogue, but it's amazing. I highly recommend it. And the other movie I want to recommend is called Grind. It's the connection I made with it is it's, it's a, it's a road trip movie about these skateboarders who go on a journey to try to get noticed by this famous skateboarder. And I just think the vibe of it, sort of low-budget indie vibe, these rebels who are living in this counterculture skateboard world, it's it's a lot more of a comedy than Easy Rider is, and it's a lot more contemporary. Uh, I think it was made within the last 20 years. I don't actually remember what the date is. Uh, honestly, a, a lot of the, the one of the guys in the movie, I think he finally got famous eventually, but there's not a lot of super famous people in it. It's just a lot of fun. It's a fun road trip skateboard movie. I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't like it. I own it on DVD. I like it. I watched it a lot as I, when I was a kid. Me and my friends used to love it. It was why I started trying to skateboard when I was a kid. I fucking sucked at it. I never got good at it. Uh, but it was a fun movie. And if you haven't ever checked it out and you like those road trip type movies with those vibes, I think it has a similar vibe to Easy Rider and I highly recommend it. Yeah, so check out Grind. Check out True Romance if you haven't. They're great. I highly recommend them. I own both of them on DVD. Wouldn't recommend them if I didn't think they were good. Um, But that's going to do it for me here on the 
show, Clear Tinted Classics again. I don't know why I'm plugging your name at the show. If you're listening to it, you know what the fuck it is. Um, but I will catch you guys on the flip-flop later. Yes, I really got to come up with a better 